Well, I welcome you again and grateful for the opportunity to worship with you all this morning. We're going to continue through the book of Acts. This morning as we talk about getting ready for the Spirit, getting ready for the Spirit. Um, we'll dismiss the kids at this time. And I will pray for us as, one more time as we get going here this morning. King Jesus, it truly is a great privilege to be here this morning. You are our living hope, Lord. The, you, have, you have removed the sting of death, Lord. You defanged death for those who hope in you, Lord. So we have no fear, Lord. We don't have to be afraid because we have a living hope, Lord, and just how incredible that is. And Lord, as we think about, as we continue through the book of Acts this morning, God, I pray that you would that you would just open our hearts and minds and eyes and ears to see, believe, trust, and obey, God, all that you have spoken, Lord. This is, this is the beginning. It's the foundation of the church, Lord, but um, it was, it was, it's the beginning of us, Lord, of, of us gathered in this room, Lord. We are the church, the same church that gathered all those years ago, Lord. The same spirit who filled them on Pentecost is the same spirit who dwells in us today. Lord, so help us to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for your name's sake. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, uh, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1. Uh, Acts chapter 1, that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. But we're talking about Acts, and this is the, uh, this is the, the, uh, the, the preparatory time here. Last uh, last time we talked about how Jesus uh, w- appeared to them over many, uh, he gave them many proofs of his resurrection, and he, he gave them instructions, and he told them that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, it sa- and, and he gave them instructions, and he told them to stay in Jerusalem until they receive the promise of the Father, power from on high, and then he ascended into heaven, uh, and they, they just stood, watched him as, as the cloud kind of took him out of their sight, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, they looked around, and their angels were standing there, and the angels were like, well, you know, what are you guys doing just, just looking up into heaven? Uh, this Jesus who you saw go up into heaven is going to come back the same way you saw him go, and, and so it's kind of like the angels were saying, okay, uh, now that Jesus has ascended, to the right hand of the Father, uh, you, you can't just, you know, just stand there, just sit there, just looking up, waiting, uh, because Jesus gave you a job to do. He gave you work to do in the meantime. But there was, this, there was this period of waiting. He told them to stay in Jerusalem to get ready for the Spirit. And so what do you do? You know, he told them to stay. The Spirit is going to come. But what do you do in the waiting? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And to talk about getting ready for the Spirit from Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. This is what it says. It says, uh, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, 
together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man had acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let, a, let another take his office. So one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The word of God. You may be seated. Okay, so we're going to be talking this morning about getting ready for the Spirit. All right, we're going to look at it under three headings. Number one, looking to God. Looking to God. Number two, looking to Scripture. And number three, looking to the mission. So looking to God, looking to Scripture, and looking to the mission. Okay, so first, what we see that in this period of waiting, what the disciples did is that they looked to God. All right, they, they looked to God. So remember, Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead. He, he gave them a mission, okay, and, and he told them that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would, be, they would receive power, and they would be his witnesses, right? And so, and so the mission of the church, the mission that Jesus left the church to do is to bear witness, right? To bear witness about who Jesus is and what he has done, and especially, especially for the apostles, right? They were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. They saw him raised from the dead with their own two eyes. And they're supposed to bear witness to that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so the Holy Spirit is the power. We are empowered by an all-powerful God to do an impossible mission by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that he is going to pour out. But as of yet, the Spirit has not yet come, uh, so we, which is why Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father, that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? And so, in other words, they didn't need to get ahead of themselves, okay? Uh, they, they, this is a task that they could, that cannot be accomplished by mere human strength, right? They needed to wait until the Holy Spirit came, and then they would receive power to bear bold, bold and powerful and effective witness to Jesus Christ, right? So, so going without the Spirit would have been like, would have been like when Israel, right? Remember when Israel was going into the promised land and they send out the 12 spies and it's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful, magnificent land, but, there's the, but the problem with the Israelites is that they were too scared to take it because they didn't believe God was going to give it to them. And so they, they grumbled against God. They refused to go. They said, go back to Egypt. And then God said, nope, that ain't going to happen. And by the way, you're going to wander 40 years in the wilderness to all of your unbelievers die. And then your children are going to go in the land. All right? 
And then they're like, oh, no, we changed our mind. We're going, we're going to the land now. So then they try to take the land, but without the presence of God. And they're immediately defeated. And come back home. And come back. Right? It's, it's going in, going in without God's power is a, <laughs> isn't going to work. So they had to wait. And so it was a time of waiting. It was a, it was a time of waiting. Now, now, waiting is an action verb. Waiting is an action verb, right? It, it's not just something that, that we just sit there and just like, you know, just like watch the clock, you know, like a, a watching pot don't boil, right? It just, that's not how it works, all right? They, 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 they were waiting, but they, they seized that opportunity to do, to, to prepare themselves for what was going to happen when, when, when the Spirit came, right? And so, what does it say there? It says in verse 13 that when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying, and then it names all, all the disciples, and then it says, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves with prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So in other words, the first thing they did in this period of waiting was that all together they devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer, right? And so they were waiting, but they weren't just sitting there doing nothing. They were waiting on God in prayer, right? They were waiting for a mighty move of his, his spirit, right? And I don't know if you figured this out yet, but what we need, what our church needs, what this community needs, what our country needs is a mighty move of the spirit of God. But that's not going to happen if we just sit here twiddling our thumbs. We got to get serious, and we got to get serious, especially with prayer, we got to get serious with prayer. God responds to prayer. God acts in prayer. God moves. When, when God is stirring up his people to pray, you can rest assured that he wants to do something and he's about to. But God chooses to do things through prayer and not without it. And so I pray that God would just pour out on our hearts a spirit of just earnest supplication and prayer and intercession. You know, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when it's a joke among pastors that it's like, if you, want, if you want to do something to make sure no one shows up, call it a prayer meeting. Am I, am I lying? The one thing that's so hard that the devil will do anything to keep us from doing is praying. We must learn to pray. Uh, one of my dear brothers, many of you know him well, Cecil Barden, they say this at Faith in Action almost every Sunday, I think. No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. Right? God help us be a praying church. I pray that God would raise up in our church intercessors, uh, ugly criers, you know, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for us to get on our faces and beg God to move. And so that, that's the call. This is, this is our call. This is, I think this is the call of Scripture upon our church in this season, right? It is a season. I mean, we're always waiting on something. We're always waiting on Christ to come back. And the truth is, it's like apart from the move of the Spirit, you know, apart from the move of the Holy Spirit of God, you know, we, all the activity is just, it's just noise. So let's pray. Let's, let's, be, let's become disciplined in prayer. 
Let's discipline ourselves for the sake of God. Let's discipline ourselves in our prayer lives. Let's make time every day. Let's devote, let's devote out a block of our day that we guard jealously and say, I'm going to pray to Almighty God. And I'm going to call out to Him on behalf of my, my friends, my family, my church family, my lost family, my, friend, my lost loved ones, friends and neighbors for, for this community, for this country. And do whatever it takes to make it happen. Look, guys, you know, like, God is on the move. He's saving people. He's bringing people to repentance. God is at work. God is at work. I really believe that with all my heart. But we just, we got to put, you know, as I say, we got to put, when the wind of the Spirit blows, you got to have your sails already up. We don't want it to pass us by. And so let's pray. So let's look to God like the disciples did, number one. So the first thing they did is look to God in prayer. And the second thing they did is look to Scripture. Look to Scripture. So if you look in verse like 16 there and following, right, he, uh, Peter says that the Scripture had to be fulfilled, okay? Uh, specifically, he said concerning Judas, all right? And, and he, he, he talks about how a Judas, uh, a, a field was purchased with a, uh, the money that he had received for betraying Jesus, and then he, he, he committed suicide, and, and, and he was hung in this field, and he, he burst open, and all his guts spilled out, okay, and that's kind of graphic, um, but that's what happened, all right? So, so Peter is stepping up here as Jesus more or less had appointed him to be kind of the, the early leader of the church, all right? And, he's, and so he, he, he's trying to figure out what's going on, right? They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. They're trying to understand what to do in this period of waiting. They're trying to understand, like, the season that they're in, right, that, that Jesus has just left, and he, he's coming back, but he's going to send his spirit in the meantime. And so, like, what, what's happening right now? And so he's looking to Scripture, and he sees that, like, these things have to happen, right? These things had to happen. Judas had to betray Jesus. It, it was happening. It was part of God's plan, right? So when, you, when you're in a situation in life, right, and you're struggling to make sense of it, right, and you can't quite figure out what's going on, all right, after you go to God in prayer, the second place you need to go is to God in Scripture. And you need to open this, you need to open this book and just and ask for guidance and, 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 and read it and seek it and ask God to help you get a sense from His perspective on what is going on in that situation in your life, because that's our problem. 99% of life is perspective, right? And there is a correct perspective. It's God's perspective. And so if we're not seeing things clearly, if we can't quite figure out exactly what's going on, we need to go to God and go to his word and see how he's taking a look at things and figure out what's going on. And that's what they did. They go to scripture. Peter goes to scripture. And you can imagine, right, they, you know, they walked with Jesus, uh, they walked with Judas. Judas was their friend. Judas was their brother. Judas was their co-laborer. You know, for all they knew, Judas was just as committed to Jesus as they were. And then he goes and betrays everybody. And they're probably upset. They're probably hurt. They're probably wounded. And they're, they're trying to figure out, too, what's going on. And they go to Scripture, and they see, no, this had to happen. Right? Judas betrayed Jesus. And here's what, and here's what, and here's what happened. And... and and, and he recounts about Judas' blood money and all that and, and how he burst open and his guts came out. And that's kind of like, you know, like that's a little graphic. And it's like, why did Luke, who wrote Acts, 
uh, you know, decide to include all those gory details, but I think it's there for a purpose, right? He's there. He, sh- he shares all the gory details of what happened to Judas to communicate that Judas' death wasn't just an ordinary death, but it was the judgment of God for his betrayal of God's son, all right? But most importantly for Peter, this betrayal didn't happen by accident. It wasn't a, it wasn't a mistake, right? Because if it was a mistake, then, if, then Jesus made a mistake because he picked the wrong person, and he paid for it. But it wasn't a mistake. It was all part of God's plan. Jesus had to be betrayed. Jesus had to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sin. So the point is, is that God is either sovereign overall or he's not sovereign at all. God is either sovereign overall or he's not sovereign at, at all. You know, this is, a, this is an important truth that we got to figure out in our lives that even the hard things, even the bad things, even the betrayal of Jesus, right, either God's in control of that or he's not. And so when we face situations like that, you, we, have, we only have a couple of options when it comes to that. And, and so I, 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 it's, good, it's good to have a proper understanding of this before hard times come so that when they come, uh, you, you know what's going on, all right? You see, what, what are your options, right? What are your options? If, God, if, God isn't in, if God's not in control of the bad times of your life, how is he in control of the good times of your life? You tracking with me? If, if God is not in control of the hard things that you face, all right? If God's not in control of the hard things that you face, you know, it, in other words, it, it, if he's just kind of watching and he sees you go through a bad thing, but he's helpless to do anything about it, well, what, what good is a God who can't help you? What good is that? I don't know about you, but I'd rather have a God who has a plan and a purpose in the hard times in life, rather than the God who feels sorry for me but can't help me. I would rather have a sovereign God, a God who's in control, a God who says he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a better God. And so this is what Peter, Peter is interpreting what's happening to them, what has happened to them by Scripture. He then quotes Psalm 69, 25 about his camp, about Judas's camp becoming desolate, which is a, is a way of judgment about like his, him being, you know, wiped out. And then in verse, and then he quotes another passage of Scripture. So again, this is just all Scripture, right? He quotes another passage of Scripture, Psalm 109, verse 8, which says, let another take his office. Let another take his office. So Peter, again, he's, he's looking at Scripture and he's, he's, he, and he's seeing within Scripture the, the next steps that they need to take while they're in this season of waiting. And it says that, that they need to let another take his office. Now, I don't know about you, but like when I've been reading the book of Acts before, I've kind of wondered, like, you know, what's the big deal like about replacing Judas? You know, like, why at this point did they need to have 12, right? Because, you know, not that far into the book of Acts, uh, James, the brother of John, right, the, the, one of the sons of thunder, he gets killed, right? The, the, uh, uh, the, the Herod kills, the, the, he's the first Christian, uh, one, of the, one of the first Christian martyrs, okay, is the apostle James, and when James dies, they don't replace him. They don't replace him. So why did, why did there need to be 12 at this particular point within kind of the, 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 the storyline of Acts here? Well, I, I think it is kind of more important than, than I realize. Jesus, 
Judas's betrayal of Jesus basically, basically says that he was never really one of them. He was never really one of them. And there needed to be 12 apostles. Why? Because Jesus said that the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So there needed to be 12 apostles. And there needed to be, according to, you just, I mean, God's wisdom, right? 12, 12 in the Bible, typically, it, it refers to the number of God's people, right? There are 12 tribes of Israel, right? There are 12 apostles, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And it kind of relates to the fullness of God's people, right? So to have an incomplete number of apostles, it's just, it's not fitting. It's just, it's incomplete. There's not the full number that God needs, that God desires to fulfill his mission. He wanted the full number of, of these missionaries, of his appointed apostles, to be witnesses to his resurrection. And so it was necessary that they did that. And so, so they, they, so they, they, they kind of did this, um, they kind of did this uh, joint, uh, like, uh, you know, they, they chose two guys who met the qualifications, all right? And then they, they kind of like rolled the dice. Now, that, that seems kind of weird to us, all right? They drew lots. That seems kind of weird to us, like, why would you make a big decision, you know, like that? But that's how they did things in the Old Testament, and that's how they, they, they discerned the will of God, okay, at that time. And so, but notice they didn't just like randomly pick any random person. They took, they took two people who were qualified and then trusted that the decision of the lot was the will of God, all right? And so they probably, they probably did something like maybe write the name on a rock or something and had like a bag or vessel and they would, they would shake it till like one of them pops out, all right? And that was Matthias, all right? So what's the point? So what's the point? It's, the point is that they're looking to God, they're looking to Scripture, they're getting everything sorted out, they're getting all the ducks in a row, so that what? So that when the Spirit comes, they'll be ready. They're getting all their ducks in a row, so that when the power comes from on high, they'll be, in the, they'll be poised in the right position to be used of God in the way God wants them to be used. And that, that but you know, that's, you know, that's 90, that's, I'm just making up statistics today. It's 99% of life, right? It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's putting yourself, being poised to be ready for the situation that God has you, right? Because we never know what we're going to face. And, you know, you've experienced things in your life where one minute everything was fine, and then you get a phone call. One minute everything was fine, and then, boom, an accident happens. One thing... We never know what we're going to face. The point is, is that every day we have to put our we have to put ourselves in position in the in the fear of God, in 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 in, in a reverence and submission to God. We have to put ourselves in a position to be poised, to be ready and useful for God at every moment, because we never know what the next moment's going to bring us. And that's what they're doing. They're being ready. They're they're poising themselves for 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 the opportunity. That God that God's gonna send their way, you know. I really, I really do believe. I mean, some, I mean, people think I'm crazy, but it's fine. Like, I really do think that in our lifetimes we could see uh, another mighty move of the Holy Spirit. I really do, and here's why: because from my perspective, as I'm looking out on culture and society, it, to me, it looks like things are gonna get bad. That's just my perspective, politically, socially, culturally. Things are going to get bad. But do you know what, the, you, know what, but what I, you know what I think when I think of that? I think of when things get bad, God's going to pour out his spirit to prepare his church to endure the bad for his glory. 
But we got to be ready for it. We got to be ready for it. So we're looking to God, we're looking to Scripture. And then finally, number three, we're looking to the mission. We're looking to the mission. In verses uh, 21 and following there, it, it talks about some of, the, um, some of the qualifications that they were looking for, for, one of, for the, that, the, that the apostle, that the, the new apostle needed to be, right? It said that in verse 21, it had to be someone who accompanied them during all the time that Jesus went, out, went in and out among them. Uh, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken from us, one of these men uh, must become a witness to the resurrection. So they put forward two, and then the lot fell to Matthias. All right? So they're looking to, to God in prayer. They're looking to God in Scripture. And then they set out to do what God was leading them to do, and that is to appoint the 12th apostle. All right? And this role could not be fulfilled by anyone. Right? It had only... There was only a limited number of people who met the qualifications, if you will, for the role of apostle, all right? It had to be someone who was there with Jesus from the very beginning, right, from the baptism of John. So all four Gospels mark the beginning of Jesus' ministry with the, with the ministry of, the, uh, uh, of, the, of John the Baptist, who laid the foundation for Jesus, who paved the way for Jesus, who made straight the path for Jesus so that people would be ready for Jesus' message uh, through John's message, okay? He was the forerunner of Christ, all right? And so Jesus, so John prepared the way, and then Jesus arrived, and then John baptized Jesus. And notice what happened when John baptized Jesus. The Spirit, the Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, right? So Jesus, in kind of this, in, in God's kind of economy here, right, Jesus is kind of the first one to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you will. And this is going to be a picture of the later at Pentecost when all Christians will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and will be filled with power. And then, and then after Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness and, and in prayer, doing what? Mentally and spiritually preparing for the three-year earthly ministry that he was going to have leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. And at the end of those 40 days... Jesus battled with Satan, right? Satan comes to tempt him, and he overcomes him, right? He conquers him to, sh to show that nothing was going to prevent him from fulfilling the mission that God had sent him to do. So, so the chosen man had to be there from the beginning, from John, from the, John the Baptist up until the present day, which is probably no more than just um, um, uh, 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 weeks after Jesus has ascended back into heaven, Okay? And so the question that I want to ask is why? why? Why was this qualification necessary for the apostles? Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious, right? It had to be someone who met these qualifications because as an apostle, right, they're going to be an authoritative witness to what? To Jesus' teaching and to the resurrection from the dead. And so they needed to be there. They needed to have heard Jesus with their own ears, teaching the truth of the kingdom of heaven. They needed to have seen the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes, right? This, and we see that throughout the New Testament, the term apostle, if you read the New Testament carefully, the term apostle becomes a technical term for, the, for specific people who have seen the resurrected Jesus with their own two eyes and are appointed in a special way by Jesus to bear witness to the resurrection, Okay? And so, they're they, they, so they choose Matthias, and, and so that, that's what's happening. That's why they chose the 12th apostle. They needed the full number 
uh, to bear witness to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? They needed, full, uh, uh, they needed the full number to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, and then, so then when they received the Holy Spirit, a little bit later, we're going to talk about next week, right? They receive power, Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit will come upon them, and there will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so what did they do? They, they chose this man all for the mission. They were getting ready for the mission, all right? They were preparing for the mission. They needed the full number of apostles so that they would be poised to be ready for the mission that God had them to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? And so that should bring, that should bring warmth and comfort to our heart, right? This this, this gospel that we believe, this, this, this Jesus that we proclaim, right? It's not a myth. It's not a story. It's not a game. People saw him alive with their own two eyes, and they told other people about it who told other people about it for 2,000 years until we can sit at 1100 Chester Highway and know that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And you might not have ever seen Jesus with your own two eyes. I haven't. But you know what? I know that he's alive. I know that he's alive. And so do you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know that Jesus is alive. If for no other reason, then you know that he's alive in you. And that's what it means to be a Christian, right? And we can all bear witness to that. I can look over my life, and I can look at the person that I was when I was 15 years old, and I can look at the person uh, that I am at 34 years old, and I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the only way that that 15-year-old boy could become 34-year-old Chad is by the power and grace of God. It's the only way that could have happened. It wasn't me. It was Jesus in me So no matter how, and in you. So no matter how painfully or slowly that process has been for you as it has been for me, it's still there, and you can still look over your life and say, there's no way I can get from here to here without Jesus. I know he's alive. I know he's alive. So we too can bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because again, we haven't seen him with our own two eyes, but we know. We know that he's alive. And so what do we do? We do what they did. We devote ourselves to prayer. We devote ourselves to scripture. And we devote ourselves to the mission. Right? Even, even, even in the book of Acts, right? There's a theme in the book of Acts in the prayers, Right? Most of the prayers that are recorded in the book of Acts are prayers for what? For boldness in proclaiming Jesus. So even the prayers are mission-focused. Because they're praying what? They're praying for boldness and courage to clearly and unashamedly proclaim the gospel regardless of the opposition that they face. And they face a lot. And we're going to face a lot too. So what do we need to do? We need to pray. Pray for God to move in our hearts so that we have boldness and courage to speak as we are. We need to pray for God to move in the hearts of our friends and family members who don't know Jesus, that we love, and we don't want to go to heaven without them. And we need to pray that God would save them and open their hearts to their need for Him. We need to pray for God's Spirit to move. We need to follow in the footsteps of these saints who who gone who've gone before us, and they showed us the way, right? To look to God in prayer, to look to God in His Word, to not compromise on it, and to look, for, and look to the mission, right? That's what Jesus told His disciples, right? He, he, he spent every waking hour with them 
for this exact purpose, right? Because he knew, they didn't know, but he knew he wasn't going to be there. He didn't tell them that up front. <laughs> they, probably, they might not have followed him if they knew he was going to leave them up front. But he spent that time with them to prepare them so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they could do it, not with him beside them, but with him by his Spirit within them. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus said, look, guys, the field is white for harvest. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. So let's pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, beginning with us. As we look to God, look to Scripture, and look to the mission. Let's pray together. King Jesus, um, it's a great honor and privilege that we don't deserve to belong to you and to be your witness. And so, Lord, we're asking this morning, God, I'm asking this morning in prayer to you, to almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful God, we're asking for boldness. We're asking for power. We're asking for courage. We're asking for love, Lord. We're asking to be the vehicle of your grace, Lord, the vehicle of your mercy in the same way, God, that you sent that mercy to us through other people in our own lives. And so, God, we're looking to you in grace, and we're looking to you in faith, God, to be the witnesses that you have called us to be. And, Lord, as I pray this morning, maybe there's somebody in this room within the hearing of my voice, Lord, and they can't be a witness because they themselves haven't seen with the eyes of their heart, Lord. They haven't seen that you're alive. And I pray, God, that right now, your spirit, God, would move upon their hearts, that they might see you, maybe not with their physical eyes, but with eyes of faith, to know that you are surely alive today, and that you can, that you can change them and make them who you have uh, created them to be, and wield them and use them in ways that they could never possibly imagine, because you made them for you. And I just pray that you might speak to their hearts this morning. Lord, we yield ourselves to you, today, asking you to have your way in our hearts, that you might receive the glory that you're due. And it's in Christ's name we pray.